0: Welcome to the Become Fire Podcast, a ministry of the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to learn more about this community, visit them on the web at www.becomefire.faith. That's dot f a i t h. Now, here are
1: the Friars. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Become Fire Podcast. Podcast. This is Father Anthony. The podcast. Is what I... Okay. Anyway, uh, this is Father Anthony here with Brother Paul, Brother John Lee Cross. We're continuing from our last episode. It's kind of like a two-part episode. Um, where we're talking all about their uh, ceremony, where they, receive, find, they made their final promises to Bishop Olmsted a few weeks ago, and talking a little bit about religious life. And we're going to get um, to one important part of the liturgy we didn't talk about last time. Not necessarily an important part of every liturgy, but I want to talk specifically about Father Athanasius' homily at your vows, because I thought it was very beautiful. I thought it was very impactful um, and very meaningful. as As he spoke about, you know, how... The church takes ordinary things, speaks the words over them, and they become consecrated. We take candles, we take fire, we take wood, we take all these other things. Uh, water, oil, uh, we we bless them, we pray for them, and these ordinary things uh, have become they they submit to the blessing, right? A water just it submits to the blessing, and becomes blessed. And how for that was an analogy for what you guys were doing. You were you know he's calling you to submit, submit to what God was wanted to do, and so he wanted. To, yeah, oil automatically submits, but we have a will, and sometimes that will gets in the way and it's called to submit. Um, so, uh, Brother John the Cross, just what, from that homily in general, uh, impacted you, and what have you taken forward into prayer
2: from that uh, homily that Father Athanasius gave? Um, the second reading was from Revelation, and one of the lines in there was, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. And Father was really saying how, this is the Church telling us to come, to come live this life that the Spirit's saying come, that uh, the community's saying come, that the people of God are saying come because the church needs religious who God makes holy, who God consecrates to himself. And so the biggest thing is that I was hearing is like, this is objectively God's will for my life, and that like the Spirit's telling me to come, and so I'm going to come, and I'm going to come enthusiastically, and I'm going to go 100%. Praise
1: God. Yeah, the Spirit and the Bride say come. That's how we start. It's our first line of a homily, the Spirit and the Bride say come. Brother Paul, how about yourself? What from the homily really impacted you?
0: I guess it's also uh, the other thing to, uh, uh, I don't know how to say it, essentially like elucidate within the, the analogy of the homily too, is that it's always the action of the church uh, with these prescribed prayers that consecrate a thing, whether it's an altar, a patent and a chalice, the Easter candle, the holy water font, um, that it's a church uh, on behalf of God who sets these things apart that makes them then holy. Um, and so while there is this great call to holiness uh, for, for me and Brother John of the Cross, it's also that we've received the grace to live the life of holiness. Meaning that within the religious vows and in with the, the, the prayers they pray over you when you're prostrate, um, and also the promise of Bishop Olmstead, that I have received the grace to live the life of perfection. Um, and then this is also where, talk, where the will does come into place, right, where I have to submit to that. I have to receive that grace. Um, but that doesn't mean that, but I have it. I have it. I, the Lord has given me the grace to live a life uh, of perfection. Um, and particularly too, and also a life of intimacy with him. That to, to, to be these things that are set apart in a particular way for the service and worship of God. Um, and so also just reflecting on it too, that uh, and just receiving that gift. Just receiving the gift of the vows um, and, and of the hidden life that the Lord has given to me. And so a lot of my prayer has been just been receiving that and just being with the Lord with that. And this is
1: something for everyone. I mean, we can, we can say much on a different level, but I think this is something people can take with them in their day-to-day life. Uh, there's an abundance of grace in the Eucharist. Amen. And when you're receiving the Eucharist, there is an, ab- you know, I don't even know, I can even say infinite, you know, in a sense. No, it is, it's, it is. it's, it's infinite. It's infinite grace that God's going to, it pours out in that moment, but we don't necessarily receive all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so brother John the cross, what are maybe some dispositions that you took in to your vows that might be helpful to people for dispositions they might need to have for their own reception of confirmation in the Eucharist and the other sacraments of the church?
2: Well, it's just knowing that the church is going to pour out an abundant grace upon you. And essentially everything like the church performs actions over you. Like the church sings the litany of the saints, the bishop receives the vows, the church sings the veni Creator spiritus. And so it's like the framework for you to receive the grace is already provided. You honestly just have to kind of show up and be engaged and like grace is going to happen. I mean, vows, you do actively have to like say, I'm giving you this all God. But uh, a lot of it is just being ready to go and just taking the stuff of the liturgy seriously. I always look at the liturgy ahead of time to pray through what exactly the church is going to do to me is something I find helpful and recommend as well. That's beautiful.
1: Um, you know, we, we mentioned this last time, but we didn't really get into it that arguably the most impactful line, you know, for our lives is when Bishop Olmstead responds, you take your vows, you go up, you promise to live the whole of your life, poverty, chastity, obedience. Um, and then Bishop Olmstead responds and he says, you know, I promise you, if you live these vows everlasting, on behalf of almighty God. Yeah. On behalf of almighty God. Um, what was that moment like for each of you? Like,
2: what was it like to be there and to hear those words being spoken over you? I love it. I mean, you have a successor, the apostles giving you a guarantee that if you're faithful to this, you're going to have eternal life. And Bishop Olmsted afterwards always kind of gives you a smile like he's rooting for you, which I really appreciate too. He looks really affirming. Um, but no, it's like, it's the realization that we actually believe that what we are embarking on is a sure and certain path to holiness. And we only have to be faithful to what it is that God's asking us to, to live out.
1: Yeah, just we have to be faithful to little things, you know, that that if we can do the things that God has put before us, be a good husband, be a good wife, be a good son or daughter, be a good, you know, uh, parents, and then we can do these daily things, um, filled with love, like Therese of Lisieux would say, with love, then that'll lead us on the path to eternal life. If we do them for the sake of God, and how beautiful it is, it's a difficult task to live out these vows, but like you said, if we can do it, we commit our lives to it, then God's response to that um, is to lead us to Him for eternity.
0: Um, yeah, I guess for me, uh, going back to that word, the, the church is the one who set something aside. Um, and what's even John on the Cross alluding, that we have to say the vows, but like someone has to then receive them. That you know, as much as I want to, that I'm incapable of just vowing myself to God uh, through these vows, through my own desires, that it really does take the work of the church. And so in a real way, Bishop Onstead stands in the place of the Father. And with those words that I promise you eternal life on behalf of Almighty God, that, that in the Father's place, he's receiving the vows. And for me, that's the real moment where like, like the grace of the vows, that's when it's received. And that's where the Father is saying, all, the, like, all that is mine, I now give to you, right? And then it also comes with like, you know, I, I said before you life and death, right? Because if, if you live these vows, I promise you eternal life. So that means I do have to live these vows. But within that as well, it's, it's just tremendous blessing from the Father that, everything like everything is yours like eternal life like uh beatitude with my son uh the grace to live this life my blessing down upon you um and in a real concrete way bishop umstead does that uh that uh you know that yeah he's uh impersonic christian and he was and as jesus says he who sees me sees the father and so we believe uh, in a real way that bishop umstead is the father in that moment when he says that you know in a sense you hear god speak um and so it uh, just a tremendous <laughs> it's almost like overwhelming it's like it's really incredible. the The Lord is really, really generous with His people and with His church, and it's uh, we're just so thankful. And, and does it put a little bit of the fear of God in you?
1: And I mean, not that the uh, inverse is necessarily said, but it might be a little implied. Like if you break these vows, your eternal salvation is well, in that's, jeopardy. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what that's, I said, it, I that's said that's before.
0: You, God. <laughs> I, said, I said before you curse and blessing. You know, it's what you know. What the Lord said to Moses where, where, well, I have other, I also like, I have the grace to live the life of perfection. Meaning that every time, there's a certain sense, like every time I don't do that, the Lord is like, well, you, you had the grace to do the good and you chose not to. And so, and also it opens up all these other avenues too of occasions for sin in my life. Um, and where I will be judged accordingly. I will be judged according to how I lived the vows that I've promised the Lord. And so there is a certain sense where um, it is... It is a tall order that the Lord gives you, and it should, and I think rightfully so, it should put a little bit of the fear of the Lord in you, where, uh, you know, that, uh, yeah. You don't take vows lightly. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't speak things forever lightly. You know, there's, so there's a sense where the also where the Lord's like modeling that too then, right? He's, he's also saying, okay, you're going to do this. We're like, well, let's do this. I and also, I think even with the, with the kind of the, the curse, aspect, it's also showing that the Lord takes it seriously, that this isn't just something fi- fickle that we're just kind of doing on a Saturday where the Lord's looking you in the eye and say, okay, like you want to be a man, you want to do the things of God. Well, let's do it then. But this comes with a responsibility. And this is an essential in like the giving of yourself to actually live up to this responsibility. I'm calling you to be a man, to be a father, uh, to be a witness for my church, to wear the holy habit of Holy Father Francis. Uh, And so... There is a great expectation to it. But then once again, it's tempered by by the love of the Father who calls you into greatness. So the Father calls us to the life of perfection, but he sets the example through his son. And so we can still follow that example. And so it's uh in a real way, it's just what a father does, you know, like how do you throw a baseball? Well, let me teach you. Right? And then when you get out in the game, I expect you to do what you need to do to get the victory and to leave it all on the field. And so in the same way, the Father speaks to us, like, leave it all on the field. If you're going to do it, if you're going to join the team, I need you to play a ball and I need you to play all nine innings and like leave it on the field. And so that's what we get to do. So why would you do this?
1: I mean, so John on the Cross, let's say you and I, we're not religious, you know, we're not priests. We're just two friends who live in an apartment together. Right, and I say, hey, I need you to go pick up groceries this afternoon, right? If you go get groceries, great. If you don't, maybe it's a little bit disappointing, but it's not a sin. But right now, if I tell you, John of the Cross, go get groceries this afternoon, like, if you don't do it, like, you're sinning against our way of life. So you're, you've taken on something, a, a greater responsibility,
2: a, a greater yes. call in that. So why would anybody ever do that? Well, because doing so is the most sure and certain path to perfection and gives us the best chance to reach eternal life so aquinas talks about if you make something under a vow it's actually meritorious then to go fulfill that vow so like if i was we were just hanging out in the apartment and i went and got the groceries like well maybe there'd be some merit because like i'd be nice to you i'd be practicing the virtue of generosity but when you take things under a vow all of a sudden whenever you exercise that vow you're actually exercising the virtue of religion which is the highest of all the virtues and so if you tell me to go get groceries and I go do it, I'm not actually exercising the virtue of generosity, I'm actually exercising the virtue of religion. And it's actually a more meritorious action, which means it can be applied um, with more efficacy for both my salvation and the salvation of others. And so there's tremendous power in the religious vows. I mean, all of this is said, ultimately, like we're doing this because God's called us and we're responding to his loving invitation. Um, to give him everything, to give him our whole hearts, to give him our whole lives. But I think it's something that needs to be emphasized, that there is an objective nature to religious life, where there is an objective superiority in it um, to living a life without vows.
1: So, I, so you said, and for others, you know, in this individualistic society where it's, it's kind of like a, it feels like we're in this doggy dog world and everybody, you better take care of yourself because no one else is going to take care of you. And if people don't, you know, necessarily say that explicitly, a lot of people have that internal mentality. And how beautiful that it's, it's you're saying, no, I do this not just for my salvation, but for the salvation of others.
2: Yeah, and ultimately what's gonna be best for your own salvation, the salvation of others, is living the state in life um, that God calls you to. But if God's giving you the option to pursue the religious state, because it's most perfectly imitated to Christ, it really is the best thing um, that you could pick to try to do. And so I, I highly encourage it.
1: Um, so another part of the ceremony, just kind of walking through the ceremony, the different parts, like what, why did we do it? What did it mean? Just to kind of explain this to people, um, is we, uh, you walk up to Bishop Olmsted and he holds the, the rule of life of the, Francis, of the Friars of the Third Order of St. Francis and of the uh, statues of the Francis of Christ's Holy Spirit, right? Um, and it just would you walk through us, John, Cross, what that was, what Bishop said, and wh- why we do that as a part of the ceremony?
2: Yeah. He says, receive the statutes. And I think he says, it's the marrow of the Franciscan life, receive the statutes, the marrow of your life. And it's because in our actual pursuit of holiness, the way we concretely do it is by living what's in those statutes, by living out the precepts that are in there. And so when Bishop Olmsted gives it to you, it's like he's giving you the instruction manual on how to become holy. He's giving you the instruction manual on how to become a saint. And so it's this very symbolic moment where he's, He's giving you the instructions for how you're supposed to live out the rest of your life. And you don't actually grab it from him. He takes it back afterwards because, once again, the church is actually giving us this gift. It's giving us this gift of an instruction manual, and we can only receive it and live it out. Beautiful.
1: Um, Brother Paul, what was
2: that moment like for you?
0: I guess to kind of carry on the analogy of, uh, of the father. Is, uh, it's a poor father who, who expects greatness out of their son but doesn't tell them, uh, what that is, what that looks like, what the expectation is. Um, it, and it becomes kind of an abstraction and it can be overly burdensome for the child, right? It can be confusing. Well, I have this great expectation, but I don't even really know what that is. And so then also in a concrete way where like, this, is, this is how this is done, right? This is, this is the plan for perfection in your life. This is, this is how you're to do what I'm asking you to do. And so in a way, it's the providence of the father that, you know what I said about that, like the Lord wants you to give yourself that he has this high expectation for your life. But he doesn't leave you to figure that on your own, right? You're not an orphan in the world, and so the father says, "Well, this is it. Like here it is in this book. Like if you do these things, you will obtain what I'm asking you to obtain."
1: Um, I just want to give you guys the opportunity. If there's any other moments at liturgy, it could be as simple as when I was walking in, like I just saw the statue of Saint Francis and it really impacted me. I was sitting there and I saw my family and it really touched me. Just any other moments that really, uh, so we can get into your hearts and your minds through this ceremony that really impacted you, or you maybe want to mention. Uh, to the people today.
2: Okay, I'll take that as a no. (laughs) Uh,
0: We'll come back to it if I think anything. (laughs) I
2: I think the only thing I'd add is there's a moment where after we take our religious vows, after everything's done, where three times we sing, uphold me, O God, according to your promise that I may live and do not confound me in my expectation. And it's basically the sense where it's like, like, God, like, we've given you everything. Like, don't confound us. Like, don't let us be disappointed because I don't know about you guys, but I feel I've I feel confounded all the time. And it's like, I don't want this. I don't want to be confounded for the rest of my life. And I mean that a little bit sarcastically that I'm confounded all the time. But no, like, there's real challenges and there's real difficulties in following God. And it's like, no, God, like, I trust you. Like, I trust that you're not going to confound me. Like, I trust this is going to bring me to eternal life. And I thought it was particularly beautiful how the first two times... Um, we sung it just with Father Athanasius, our cleric master, because neither one of us can sing particularly well. He helped keep us on tune. But then the third time, all of the solemnly professed joined in. And I thought that was awesome because it was kind of like, it felt like we're joining the team. We're going to work towards this together. And I found that to be a moment of consolation.
1: Yeah, I thought that was really beautiful.
2: You know, where it's just kind of this impact of now everybody that third time, everybody
1: stands up. You're kind of it's that that same thing where you start a little lower and you go a little higher, go a little higher, and uh, and the whole community kind of joins together because it's something that we've all done. That I did when I took my final promises. That you, that you know, all the all those who've taken final promises have done. Now you guys and we're all joining together in this like, uphold oh, me, oh God. Like I can't do it on my own. I need to be held up by God um, because uh, it's His grace that sustains. Um. So I just want to take a moment here and talk uh, about th- now religious life in general, because you guys particularly decided to be Franciscans, you know, in the Franciscan religious life. And one of the reasons we've been talking all about this, why are we spending, you know, two podcasts on this ceremony, about you guys taking this, is because the world needs St. Francis. Uh, even last time we talked about who would you have, you know, St. Francis at my dinner, you know, that I, that I, I want to meet, that this man we've all said imitated Christ in a very beautiful way that we w- want to follow. So I just want to bring up, what do you think it is about St. Francis that's so important for the world today?
0: Brother Paul? The first thing that comes to mind is that um, suffering is something that has been with humans since the, uh, since the fall. And uh, a lot of the, the world's answer to suffering uh, is just essentially do anything you can to avoid it. Check out, medicate, um, just binge watch Netflix, take some opiates, you know. Kind of in, in the extreme cases of it, um, but you know, and death and all the suffering you face. Um, and it's a suffering that leads to despair and fundamentally, uh, essentially oblivion. Uh, it's a hopeless suffering. Um, and the example that Francis gives us is a man who suffered tremendously in his life. If you read, uh, so he 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 was captured for war. Um, was a year a prisoner um gets gets ransomed gets that uh, gets out but then he does this life of uh, incredibly austere penance extreme fasting um long vigils um but there was something in suffering that Francis experienced that I'm closer to God when I suffer and there's something about Christ who hum- and also this is also Francis's emphasis on the incarnation that there's something about God's uh, humbling of himself to become incarnate, that then Christ shares in our suffering in a real and concrete way. And Francis really got in touch with that. And he said that when I suffer, there's a, there is a mystery uh, and through the eyes of faith that there's something about me and my own suffering that I'm united to Christ. Um, and then Francis gives us so great an example of, of that longing to be with the crucified Lord, that at the end of his life, he bears the marks of the crucifixion in his body. Uh, and so Francis shows us, and he holds this up to us, that suffering doesn't need to be something that leads to despair and oblivion, but it can actually become a a vehicle into which you experience intimacy with the crucified Lord. I mean, that's a, that's an, inter- an incredibly tall task. And everyone suffers, and everyone has a very particular way in which they do it, um, even with their own family members. And so I don't want to also negate the fact that, that it is painful. It is a painful, it, it's, it, it's painful to suffer. Um, but, but that the Christian hope is just that, that it's hope, that there's hope in suffering. Um, and Francis really does provide that example for us, that we never have to be hopeless in our suffering. And that even at the end of our lives, that, that, that the Lord will always, he is a redeemer, that he shared in our nature, uh, he took up your suffering, that nothing will be lost.
1: A little known fact is that the Dies Irae and the Sabbat Mater, which yes. are these two beautiful Latin uh, hymns, poems, uh, prayers, um, both focused on the crucified, yeah. like focused on the crucifixion, um, were both written by Franciscans. Yeah, that 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 a call of Franciscan is to meditate on the cross, to turn to the cross, to see that for Francis the cross was charity. It was the greatest act of love the world's ever seen, um, and so what you're, that's what you're pointing to that 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 suffering is not terrible that in fact if we turn to the cross we meditate on on the, on the cross it, it, suffering's not an evil it's something that
0: God can use in our lives if we will embrace it and unite it to the uh, cross I also say especially when you learn to suffer for others so yeah. even in like tough relationships like the Lord will give you a hard relationship in your life um, but but even when you learn to uh, and not in a way of like where it's like a false martyrdom or something like that but when you really learn to love the person even in the suffering they cause you to experience. Um, and in a way that the Lord will invite you into, that you too can then have this capacity to give yourself in those moments and to be charitable.
2: I, I think Brother Paul hit most of the main points. The other point that I would add is um, Saint Francis's Eucharistic devotion. Um, Francis is a lot of times hijacked by like the liberals who point him as a like a hippie and this like animal lover, and he wasn't really that concerned about the church and the institutional church. He just wanted to like get a lot of animals and. That's just not the church, like true at all. I mean, Francis wrote more about the Eucharist than any other topic and um in a in a world today where only 31% of Catholics believe in the real presence, believe that Jesus is truly present um in Jesus is truly present um in the Holy Eucharist. Francis is a great example to us of Eucharistic devotion, of Eucharistic piety because ultimately as Catholics, we believe that each and every mass is a representation Uh, of the sacrifice of Calvary, that there's an intimate connection to the cross uh, that Brother Paul was talking about and the Holy Eucharist. And I think Francis shows us, because he talks so much about the cross, he talks so much about the Eucharist, he draws out this intimate connection, and he shows us um, that there has to be emphasis put on the Holy Eucharist. There has to be devotion. I mean, he didn't let the Franciscans really own much of anything, they didn't own anything, um, but they were allowed to have nice vestments for Mass. They were allowed to have... um, good saborias and good chalices, because all this was meant to honor the Lord. And so he shows the importance of uh, liturgical life, of liturgical devotion. Another little known fact is that it's actually the Franciscan order who spread uh, the Roman Rite across Europe. There were a lot of like local variances in terms of how Mass was celebrated. Um, most people were celebrating the Roman Rite because Rome was the biggest place. But um, the Franciscans were really responsible for coming um, up with not coming up with but spreading uh, the Roman liturgy that was ultimately codified by Pope Pius V at the Council of Trent and is what we know today as uh, the Tridentine Mass or the Latin Mass or the extraordinary form um, which we're we're privileged to celebrate um, in our houses both in Phoenix and in Detroit
1: um, just a final kind of note on this this called a religious life and what's Francis needed for day I mean you guys wear the holy habit Right, and we all wear the holy habit of St. Francis um, as a witness to the world. But most people be like, uh, kind of out of date, you know, you're not really fitting in with the crowd. Um, why is it? Why do you wear the holy habit? Like, what's the importance of that?
0: I would say first, uh, for myself, uh, that it's a reminder every day of my own consecration to the Lord. Um, it also ties me into my tradition, that it's a way in which I'm immediately connected to Francis. That, that this is what Holy Father Francis, uh, taking the words of the gospel, to only have two tunics, and to go about, you know, uh, and so in that way, I'm connected then with my past. Um, it's also a sacramental. So there's also grace when I wear the habit. Um, and also, and also just to add into that, you know, even in the novitiate ceremony, that there's a beautiful way in which you're clothed in the habit. Um, and then on your religious vows or your, your simple profession or the community, essentially you receive the habit of Francis, that it's no longer a time of probation, a testing period, but you've been received into the fraternity. And so essential to that then becomes the habit. And even the name habit, um, it alludes to the fact that I'm trying to develop the, the religious habits, meaning I'm trying to have the habitus of being a Franciscan religious and so, in a concrete way, because uh, once again, you need to have concrete ways in which you're doing these things and taking steps, the habit becomes that. It becomes the a witness to myself to live out the promises that I've made. Um, and also we wear the rosary. And I think, in a real way, um at least in my own vocation, that uh, it's only through our lady that I'm here, you know, and that she's still with me and still guiding me. I'm praying for me. Uh, and a way to defend myself from what the enemy would hope to do against me, right? And so, and then we wear it on our right, the way you would traditionally, or the left, where you would traditionally wear your sword. So the rosary becomes our protection and our defense. And then, it, and then it is because it is a sacramental; it is a sign to the world. Um, and even if people uh, are spiritually dead, and a lot of times it gets it gets confused as as a robe or maybe even like a dress, and you get a lot of weird things out in the world. Uh, that people will, will reference it as that uh on a spiritual level it still witnesses um and it's still a sign and you can't lose it it's a, it's a sign. Of, we are a sign of contradiction and a part of that is uh essential uh con- essentially contained within the habit
2: i think brother paul hit that all right there
1: great um all right guys thank you so much it's been a pleasure to have you on our become for our podcast um you might hear them a little bit more over the summer. It's a pleasure to have Brother Paul and Brother John on the cross down in Phoenix with us. Um, but the question for now, just again, we're trying to get to know you guys, uh, get a sense of who you are. Um, if you could go anywhere in the world, you get one trip, you can go visit any place, go see it. It's a place maybe you've already been before uh, or a place you've never been but want to
2: go. Where would you go and why? I'd go back to the Holy Land. I mean, getting to walk where Jesus walked is the most awesome thing. I mean, I love getting to go to the church, the Holy Sepulcher actually seeing where Jesus was crucified and rose again, um, I wouldn't hesitate. So I'm hopeful Father Anthony will send me on a pilgrimage there sometime in the near future.
0: I would have to say that I, w- I would want to go back to Assisi. Uh, particularly particular, I get to, I get to like kind of play with it. I'd want to fly into Rome and I'd actually want to walk to Assisi and do the reverse of what Francis did. So I'd want to go to St. John Lateran's. Uh, they have a huge statue of St. Francis outside of it. I'd like to pray to Holy Father Francis and then make a pilgrimage to Assisi.
1: Why opposite? Why not CC to Rome?
0: I don't know. I don't know. I just, uh, because it just makes sense to like, you're already in Rome. Like, <laughs> you're not going to fly You're into not going to like fly to Rome no and then, like go there. to CC <laughs> Like, it might just be a utility. You give
1: us a real expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think Egypt, Um, because I want to go see where Antony of the Desert was buried. I'd like to go do a pilgrimage and go pay my respects to him, who has been uh, such a great and an incredible uh, intercessor in my life and just go go pay my homage. I know it's uh, probably out in the middle of nowhere and not even probably an Orthodox monastery, but uh, if I try to find a way in and go go pay homage to to his body and ask for his intercession in a deeper way. Um, but yeah, thank you guys again so much. It's been an honor and a blessing uh, to be with uh, to be with you and to hear more about this great ceremony you guys endured. Uh, thank you so much for your final promises, the witness you're giving to the world. Uh, how beautiful it is that the, um, the the church needs you, the world needs you You know, to, to live out these vows Um, To live out this Franciscan life, because it is what's going to bring hope and transformation in a world that's desperately in need of God and desperately in need of witness to St. Francis. And so, to all of you, I say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May make His face shine upon you, be gracious to you, may turn His countenance towards you, and give you His peace. And may Almighty God bless you as I bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Become Fire Podcast. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit can be found online at www dot becomefire.faith. That's dot faith. That's dot F A I T H. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit are also a 501c3 charitable organization. If you feel called in any way to give financially to their mission, please go to www.becomefire.faith. slash give. That's become dot faith slash give. May the Lord give you his peace. We'll see you next time.